Bishop Martin leads Ezra and his flock to a large Gothic building whose lithic orifices dominate the skyline of the small town. Elijah looks up, wide-eyed at the stained glass, which depicted the tale of Samson while leaving out his gruesome end. The bishop opened the large, heavy doors of the church, which gave in to the bishop's quivering arms with a slow creak that echoed across the vaulted sanctuary. Ezra and Elijah followed close behind the bishop as he led them past the rows of pews to a small, ornate wooden door in the back, Silas following not far behind with Antoinette in hand. The bishop waves Silas inside, then rests in a large chair that resembled a throne that sat behind a gilded altar. Ezra knelt before the altar and was soon joined by Elijah as Silas opened the small wooden door. Long ago, this room appeared to be an office of one of the clergy serving under the bishop, complete with a long table, several chairs around it, and a desk nestled in the back. However, since then, it has taken on aspects of a storage room. Two organs coated in dust rest against the back wall. Across the table are several boxes overspilling with musty Bibles and moldy hymns, while several banners, a decorative cross, and two stacks of chairs lean against the walls. Silas removes a box full of cheap pens off a chair and sits Antoinette down in it. While offering her a gentle smile, he lifts her restraints, then reapplies them to the back of the chair. Let me know if that's too tight, alright? Antoinette glares at Silas, who sighs and exits the small office. Outside in the main hall, Ezra prays before the altar, while Elijah kneels next to him and mimics his prayer. As Elijah approaches the two men, they end their prayer, and the bishop looks up from his throne. Well, now that we are in the presence of more civilized company, in what way may I assist you gentlemen with your case? I'd like to start off by asking you some questions, if you don't mind. Question me? <laughs> I can't imagine what good that will do you. Your efforts would be better spent at the chopping block. The sooner we rid ourselves of that devil worshiper, the better. And who would commit the sin of murder? You? For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. According to Paul's teachings, young man, whoever resists the authorities, or in this case myself, resists what God has appointed, and that those who oppose will incur judgment, in this case, death. I'll bear your advice in mind, Bishop, but if you don't mind, I'll continue to proceed as is. However, you have my word that if I find that the best course of action is to dispose of Frau Hosp, I'll make sure that you're the first one to know. Very well, then. What can you be telling us about why you suspect that Frau Hosp here is a witch? You mean besides the obvious fact that she won't stay dead, Agent? Before that, I mean, your report to Cardinal Busoni just said that after Herr Hosp went missing, that you hung Frau Hosp that night. Correct me if I'm wrong, Bishop Martin, but usually the case isn't to hang the wife when her spouse goes missing, especially after such a short time. How do you know that he didn't just leave or spend the night with another woman? Such actions aren't unheard of. Of course, we had reason to suspect she was a witch. It is the same reason that there was no formal trial and I saw fit to execute her right away. 
A Fraulein passing through Durambar on the night of Herr Hosp's disappearance heard a cry of screaming agony, and as any good child of the church would, she ran to fetch the constable. And when the constable arrived on the scene, there was an incredible amount of blood. Frau Hosp was splattered in it, and she was covered in wounds as her husband rightfully tried to defend himself. If this was not enough to convict her of attempted murder, the constable on duty here, Gogan, searched the house for Herr Hosp and found occult symbology scrawled in blood. And as it is written in Leviticus, a man or woman who is a medium or spiritist among you must be put to death. So he followed the will of the Lord. Did Herr Gogan ever manage to find Herr Hosp? No, Agent, this is why I say he is missing and not deceased. And what of this woman who reported the screams? Did she happen to say where she was going by chance? No, Agent, I had other more pressing matters on my mind than where one woman was going. We were warned about a traveling woman. You sure you ain't seen nothing of her since? I believe I've seen her a few times since then, but I assure you, Agent... There isn't anything to fear from this woman. Merely, these are the superstitious rumors of the locals. Forgive me, Bishop, but how can you just dissuade these whispers as rumors? Surely you can't deny that the supernatural exists, especially after all Frau Hosp has done. They are the teachings of the pagans, Agent Silas, the teachings of a false god, riddled with lies. We have nothing to fear from stories without any substance. Silas drums his fingers across the surface of the altar, chewing on his lip before he speaks. Right. What can you tell me, Bishop, about Herr Hosp, then? He was one of the city planners and a devoted man of the church. His wife was expecting the child, but the child was never born. At the time, I remember him coming to me and asking why God would allow such a thing. Now, of course, I realize that a child could not be born within a woman who has sold her life to the devil. Beyond that, though, there really isn't anything more to say. Besides, of course, that he will be dearly missed amongst my congregation. And what about his penitence? Anything he told you that might be important to the case? Anything my congregation tells me within the confines of the confessional is strictly between myself and the Lord. If we are fortunate enough to find Herr Hosp, hopefully... He'll be willing to tell you the intimate details he shared with me in the confessional. With respect, Bishop, we can't do our job properly unless you're willing to tell us everything there is to know. If you hold anything back for pious reasons or otherwise, and another victim goes missing, you have only yourself to blame. Your failures are your own, Agent. Perhaps, Bishop Martin but our failure means more lives lost from your congregation. Surely if you care about them, you'll be willing to divulge the secrets of one most likely dead man to save the lives of the living. More silence. The bishop stares at Silas studiously, analyzing every detail he can glean from the man. Very well. All I am willing to tell you is that Eros Pether a wandering eye. Much obliged. Now, what can you tell me of Anton Pfizer, the second victim? <laughs> Must we go through every victim in great detail? It's rather trite, Agent, 
How about I save you some time and tell you that they were all exactly the same? Husband goes missing, and the next day Frau Hasp walks through Durenbar. Exactly the same? That true for the wounds on her? What can you be telling me about those? If you are looking for in-depth detail, I suggest reading the reports. What I can tell you from my memory, though, is that there were wounds on the chest area, and the tongue was removed. This is the same for every appearance from Frau Hosp? She never had a tongue, and had these wounds on her chest? Yes, Agent, no tongue. And from what I was told, similar wounds on her chest. Has she told you anything about the missing men? It would be quite miraculous if she were able to tell us anything with her missing tongue. Regardless of her missing tongue, there are other ways of getting things out of folks. Couldn't you have given her paper or something? Have her write down the location of these missing members of your flock. We have discussed nothing with the witch. As I have stated before, we could not risk falling under her spell, now could we, Agent? Frau Hosp would be thrown into a cell every night after her apprehension, and later that night I would draw the population of Durenbar to the town center to watch the power of God cleanse us of this witch. Fall under her spell? Weren't her tongue missing? How did you think she would go about casting spells when she ain't got no tongue? Are you implying that I know anything of this witchcraft agent? No, I know not of this witch, nor how her wicked ways go about being committed. However, I could not take the chance of her polluting my flock with her magic. Better safe than sorry. What is the life of one woman compared to the life of my entire flock? You haven't even spoken to her then? How did you give her a trial? And what trial needed to be given? As I have stated, she was found in the presence of occult symbology written in her own blood, and her husband had vanished, most likely as a sacrifice to the devil. There was no need for a trial or for her to speak, especially after her life was taken once and she was found to be alive the very next day. This immortal woman will not be given a chance to defend herself. She is a devil worshipper, and like all devil worshippers, she needs to be disposed of. Not to be pitied, not to be allowed a trial, but to be disposed of, Agent. 1 Corinthians 6.3 Do you know that we are to judge angels? How much more, then, matters pertaining to this life? We are to hold each other accountable, Bishop, fairly in trial, not to hang whoever we please. It seems you know your scripture, boy. However, it means nothing to spout verses without substance. Prove my point, boy, by reciting the next verse, if you will. Elijah grits his teeth, fists bald as he keeps his eyes fixed on the bishop, who grins back at the boy. No? Very well then, I will. So, if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this is to your shame. But they were laid down before the church. The matter was brought to you. And I, being a humble servant of the church and acting on its behalf, as is the will of Cardinal Busoni, have deemed that there is no need to waste our time on frivolous trials when the evidence is stacked so heavily against Frau Hosp. 
She was a member of your congregation. She had trust and faith in you. She, like all members of your congregation, deserved a fair trial. She lost the right to be a part of my congregation. Then she took a liking to the practices of the devil. Now you will mind your tongue, boy, as you speak out against the will of the church. Ezra places a hand on Elijah's shoulder, who turns away from the bishop, his gaze lowered in submission. After a long stretch of silence, the bishop lets out a long sigh and runs his hands over his face. Oh, please forgive me. I did not mean to misplace my temper. It's been hard over the past few days with the witch terrorizing my congregation. And before all of this horrid business, the effects of the war still bleed into Durinbar. Please, is there anything else I can assist you with? That'll do, Father. Thank you. Bishop Martin nods and slowly stands from his chair. Then, weakly, he walks from the main hall to another door, opposite the office, and ascends a stairwell. The sounds of his beleaguered steps clambering up the stone stairs soon culminates as a heavy door creaks open and shuts. With the bishop now gone, Ezra walks around Elijah to face him, crouching down to meet his eye. It's alright, Elijah. Don't worry about him, alright? It won't do us or this town any good. Instead, let our minds dwell on the Lord and his will for Frau Hosp and Durenbar. Let us pray on guidance for what is to come. Then, let us go speak with our guest. The three men bow their heads, each clasping the shoulder of their brother as they stand huddled together in front of the altar. Holy Father, it is your will that once again we are in the midst of a terrible tragedy. We, your humble servants, come before you now in this holy house to ask of you to grant us guidance on how to proceed so that we may continue with you as our master, so that our thoughts are not our own, but shared with yours, so that everything we say is your will, so that everything that we do is your will, so that all actions we take even the simplest, such as drawing a breath, will bring praise to your great name. We come before you, Father, and we ask of you that if it is your will that this tragedy, that this sorrow, that this trepidation should cease, that you show us your way to make it end so that these people may know your great name and know your love and compassion so that these people may once again live without fear, may live in peace, and may live under the banner of your love. But most of all, Lord, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. The chorus of Amen is repeated by Elijah and Silas. Then they slowly make their way over to this small office. As they enter, Antoinette's head flicks up to them, and instead of the pitiful gaze she gave before the impromptu stoning, she glares at them as they spread out through the office. When you are ready, Elijah. Elijah roots through the boxes on the table until he pulls out a Bible. With his eyes closed, Elijah thumbs his finger down the side of the book, its pages fanning until Elijah flicks his wrist and the book flops open. With his eyes still closed, the boy places a finger on the text and begins to trace down the page until it stops at the needed passage. He recites from the text, Nemo corrupta, communicado pracudent de oro tu, sed quot bonum est ad usum, veritas et docent gradium ad auditors. Elijah closes the Bible and places it back in the box, 
Ezra nods to Silas, then takes his perch at the door, leaning against its frame as he watches closely. Silas circles around Antoinette and unshackles her wrists. Antoinette rubs her raw skin as she strains her neck to watch Silas as he moves throughout the room. He pulls out one of the hymn pamphlets and a pen from boxes around the room and places them both in front of Antoinette. With the pen and paper in front of her, she suspiciously picks them up, then begins to write on the pamphlet as Silas speaks. My apologies, Fraulein. I know this is a tad bit unusual, but in your current state, I'm afraid there ain't much to do about it. If you don't mind, I'm going to ask you some questions. I know this town hasn't been too kind to you of late, but if you help us out, we'll do our best to make sure you get yourself a trial. Granted, depending on whether or not you're innocent, that won't be helping you out a ton. With shaking hands, Antoinette holds up the pamphlet, which reads, I am Jakob Bielik. Silas scans over the writing, his brow furrowing as he reads the paper then crosses the room over to Elijah as Antoinette begins to write again. What do you make of it? She shouldn't be able to lie, Silas. Although the Lord's words specifically refer to the mouth, and she's using her hands, but I don't know how picky God is. Reckon you can do anything about getting her tongue back? If I had her tongue, maybe, but creating a new one? I don't know, Silas. I've never tried anything like that before. Think you should give it a go? I don't think he should, Silas. You remember Colmar? Think we can trust it then, Ezra? For now, proceed as if she cannot lie. After the interrogation, we'll have to investigate her claims to determine the validity behind them. Silas turns back around to face Antoinette. She holds the pamphlet up to him again. This time, the words read, I am not Antoinette Hosp. Help me. Silas clears off the table and sits opposite Antoinette. You're going to have to help me understand now. You ain't Jacob Bielik, whoever that is. You ain't even a man, darling. You are Antoinette Hosp. Now in a frenzy, Antoinette begins to scrawl once more on the back of the pamphlet, cramming the words in the spaces between the hymns. Come on now, listen here. I can tell you as sure as I live and breathe that the person sitting across from me right now is Antoinette Hosp as I know her to be. This whole town seems to think the same. Does it look like I got stupid across my face? Antoinette slides the pamphlet over to Silas across the table. The witch did something. Nothing makes sense. I hung her last night. This morning, I am her. Silas looks down at the pamphlet, then hands it back over to her. Did something to you? What do you mean? Antoinette dramatically motions to herself. Right, but I'm going to need more than that. You said you hung her. Did you have any business with Frau Hosp outside of that? Antoinette shakes her head. So you want me to go about believing that you, Antoinette Hosp, are Jacob Bielik? Antoinette fervently bobs her head. But he ain't got no proof to back up this claim. Quickly, Antoinette writes, Nadine. Nadine? Below Nadine, Antoinette adds, Wife. Your wife can go about proving your innocence. Antoinette nods. How? Silas patiently waits as Antoinette flips to a new page. I was in pain. Nadine got help. Come home with Dr. Horvath. Eduard arrested me. Unfortunately, darling, that doesn't prove anything. No one was with you when you supposedly changed. 
We can't be certain of nothing. Antoinette slams her fists on the table. In a fury, she stands up rapidly, the chair thrown back against the wall in her haste. Elijah jolts at the sudden act, but Ezra and Silas remain calm, watching Antoinette carefully. She begins pacing around the room, running her hands through her tangled hair. In the process, her torn blouse falls open and flutters around her. Hey, hey, it's all right. Please, have a seat. Antoinette ignores Ezra, repeating her previous motion. Hold up. What's that you got on your chest? Antoinette looks down at her chest and fumbles with the edges of the blouse. Quickly, she crosses the fabric, covering the carved wounds on her chest. The motion, however, does little to conceal the rest of her body, which causes Elijah to blush furiously and lower his gaze to his hands. What's that you got there? Antoinette scowls at Silas. How about this? Tell me about that there on your chest, and I'll humor you and go speak with the Nadine Bielik. Antoinette looks warily at Silas, then over to the door where Ezra blocks her escape. I promise, I give you my word that once we're done here, I'll go straight to Nadine Bielik, alright? Now please, sit down. Antoinette breathes heavily, then lowers her head in submission. Silas pulls up another chair for her, and she collapses into it. Your wife did that to you? Antoinette shakes her head. It happened then when you started looking like Frau Hosp? Antoinette shakes her head. So, you had it before you changed? Antoinette nods. Do you know, Frau Hosp, that every time you show up, you got that wound on your chest? And you're free to me that it ain't part of whatever so-called transformation that happened to you. Antoinette nods. Tell me who did it to you, then. Chewing on the inside of her cheek, Antoinette complies and begrudgingly picks up the pen. Rosalie. Rosalie? Who's Rosalie? The writing reflects. She's a traveler. You let everyone who passes through carve you up like a turkey? Come on now. If she weren't somebody to you, you wouldn't have let her done that to you. She your lover? Antoinette hesitantly nods, not meeting Silas's eye. How many times did you and this Rosalie get together? Antoinette holds up one finger. Just the once? So I reckon if you only met up with her the one time, she's the one who gave you that there mark, and it was a part of what you two were doing. Antoinette nods. Why didn't you stop her? Antoinette offers the pamphlet where the words, She tied me up, were written. So she took advantage of your lust to tie you up, did she? And when you were good and helpless, she mutilates your body. Although I reckon you weren't going to be too kind to her once she let you go. Probably left you tied up when she left, didn't she? How'd you get back home then, eh? Silas crosses the room and looks over her shoulder as she writes. The innkeeper, Taub, untied me after what felt like hours. What about your tongue? That happened when she got you all tied up as well? Antoinette shakes her head, the pen rattling in her tight grip. You lose it in the transformation, then? Antoinette's brow darkens, and as she circles the word Rosalie, the tip of the pen punctures through several pages of the pamphlet. She came back, then? Antoinette nods. Why didn't you stop her? She circles the word pain several times. Where can I find Rosalie? Quickly, she frantically circles the word Traveler, but she scratches out the word and writes below it, King Fredericks, ask for Taub. I'll look into it. 
Silas stands, and as he heads towards the door, snatches the pamphlet from Antoinette. He pauses at the door and calls over his shoulder. Herr Bielek, if you really are innocent, don't be going nowhere, all right? Make sure the bishop don't do nothing to you. But if you leave this room, we'll act on the assumption that you are indeed Antoinette. And the next time we meet, we'll have to treat you like a threat. The clergyman exit the room, leaving Jakob Bielik holding his head in his hands. I'm sorry, Silas. I, I guess it didn't work. What are you talking about, Eli? Of course it did. How do you know? Were you watching his body, Eli? The blush retakes his face once more. No, her clothes were torn and I didn't want to stare. Right. But did you see what she went about doing when I pointed out her wounds? Yeah, she covered them up. Right. But he left the rest of himself exposed. Don't know too many women now that would be more concerned with a marking than covering themselves up. What about when he got all riled up? You see how he banged his fists on the table? Threw his chair back? Clenched his fists like he wanted to punch my teeth in? Yeah, but I'm not entirely sure where you're going with this. Women are taught from a young age to be prim and proper. They learn that anger ain't feminine, you see. Us guys, however, are less refined when it comes to the like. We'll puff up our chests, raise our voices, and beat the hell out of whoever pissed us off. Women, however, have a different approach. What's that? It sure ain't banging tables and throwing chairs, that's for sure. What about Herodias? She doesn't act ladylike. That's true enough, but Herodias tends to be an outlier in most things when it comes to her gender. But name another woman who acts like Herodias. You can't, can you? We can't be certain that Antoinette isn't like Ava. Do you have any other evidence? Silas hands Ezra the pamphlet. Look at that, will you? Well, looks like writing to me. This here ain't no writing. It's chicken scratch. You can hardly read it now, can you? What was it that I was just saying about women? They're taught to be proper? Exactly. Men are allowed to be sloppy, you see. The old boys will be boys adage. Women? Does here look prim and proper to you? No. Then it's likely that she is a he now, ain't it? Very perceptive, Silas. Thank you, Ezra. It's still not enough, however. I know you want to go to King Frederick's and talk to the barkeep, but I need you to go talk to Frau Bielek. Ezra, we ain't got time for that. I'm certain I ain't wrong about this. Even if you are correct, and you don't require any more evidence, this town is sick and dying. And it won't be healed once we catch Antoinette. We've been given a gift to impact the lives of many. Let's not squander this gift in our haste to move to our next task. Go to Frau Bielek. What about Rosalie? You made a promise, Silas. Once you've talked to Frau Bielek, go to this bar and follow the trail from there. If you say so, Ezra. Elijah, will you please go with Silas? Of course, Ezra, but what about you? While the two of you go into town, I'll stay here and make sure that in his haste to protect his congregation, that the bishop doesn't do anything drastic. Godspeed and God bless, brothers. Ezra hugs both men, and then Elijah and Silas exit the church, leaving Ezra outside the office, where Jakob Bielik can be heard choking back sobs. Hey everybody, thanks for listening to The Clergyman Immortal Woman, a Leached Talent production. 
Written and directed by Annie Gonzorn. Produced and audio engineered by James Quesada. Music compositions and sound design by Maddie Gosshorn. Narrated by Seth Weeks. And with voice acting by the following talented cast members. Zan Kramer as Silas. Maddie Gosshorn as Elijah. Jeff Williams as Ezra. Boyd Barrett as Bishop Martin. Subscribe to the show so you don't miss an episode and leave us a rating and a review to help other people discover the show. Check us out on social media and on the web by following the links in the show description. Thanks again for listening and keep the faith. Thank you.